Today's very special episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by modern social media platforms. Securing the future of impermanent dick pics since 2011. And the modern flip phone. Making it technologically impossible to send dick pics since 1993. Robert Talk. Welcome. We are here again. It's Friday, February 8th at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What's going on, Berta? Uh, not much, not much. It's a slow... Uh... Slow to quite slow news week. Um, so slow, in fact, that uh, our lead story of the day, such as it was on WallStreetJournal.com, is... The dick pic saga of Jeff Bezos. Let me explain. Please, please. I'm all ears. The great Bezos is the intergalactic imperator of the Amazon empire. Is now openly accusing the National Enquirer of blackmail in a, quite frankly, fascinating saga of tabloid espionage. So uh, let's, let's unpack this one a little bit. So as best I understand it, keep me honest here, uh, Bezos invoked a group of investigators uh, of his own to find out how the Inquirer had illegally obtained his text messages. The tabloid countermeasured, threatening to release pictures of an embarrassing nature, which quite clearly are dick dick pics. Uh, (laughs) One, uh, I guess, on its surface, this is uh, quite frankly hilarious, but I think more to the point, what does it tell you about the nature of the cult of celebrity in Silicon Valley? I mean, first of all, it, it, they're not even in Silicon Valley. True. They're in Seattle. They're in Seattle. The greater Silicon the, Valley. Yeah, the, the greater Silicon Valley. I mean, we've always, we've always sort of known that it was very much a frat, a frat type of environment. I just would not have <laughs> envisioned... Would not have envisioned a sixty-some-odd-year-old billionaire. I mean, although, although, if you are a sixty-some-odd-year-old billionaire, what else are you going to do? Well, it's interesting, right? So, okay, uh, this is how I think about it. You have, or sorry, he's in his fifties, not sixties. My bad. I was going to say he looks pretty good. He looks like Lex Luthor, which is an interesting look. Uh, so, here's what I find interesting: we're basically in an era of. Bezos is a modern-day John Rockefeller. Sure. He doesn't have a geographic monopoly like Standard Oil did. But, but he, he will. He will he control will. everything. He has an aggregation monopoly, more importantly. And unlike Gates, who arguably is his like proto-Silicon Valley monopolist predecessor, he has a now personal saga where he's divorcing his wife, he's banging mistresses, He's doing and, it right. And now, this is our dream. He is embroiled in a tabloid conspiracy to blackmail him. Robert, is this the apotheosis of the American dream? I think it's the degenerates American dream. As your, as your in-house degenerate uh, business teacher, absolutely. 
Absolutely. <laughs> this man is everything I aspire to be, from the mistresses to the dick pic saga, the whole thing. The whole thing. I'll tell you what I like about it, too. Before, let's rewind the clock. It's mid to late 1990s. Bezos is already going bald. He, like, is still trying to hang on. He's, like, kind of weird-looking and skinny. And now he has, like, a personal trainer. He's got the Mr. Clean look going on. Really, I think for me, balding as I am, uh, this is what I should aspire to. Uh, Secondarily, I guess, um, what does it say ultimately about... Um, the power of Bezos as a singularity to basically, with his own resources, uh, try to take down something like the National Enquirer. I think of a good proxy as uh, Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, through uh, perfectly acceptable legal frameworks, took down Gawker single-handedly. Right. Is this ultimately an attempt on Bezos's part uh, with the power that he wields to destroy and humiliate the National Enquirer. And does he even have that power? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, you, with a hundred and, what is it, forty, sixty billion dollars, even if it's only half of it, he can destroy whatever and whomever he wants. He can certainly, certainly destroy us. Easily. For, for me, the bigger question is, is why bother? They're, they're just dick pics. Like, <laughs> Well, that's the whole thing about the cult of the Silicon Valley entrepreneur, right? Uh, they are, in effect, a modern-day superhero. Right. But you can't simply attack uh, a Silicon Valley giant and hope to get away with it. But here's the thing. A story comes out that says, hey, Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos has dick pics out there. I don't bet an eyelash. Mm-hmm. If this was, if this was um, Warren Buffett... Mm-hmm. Now that I'd like to see. Yeah, that that I'd be more interested in. If it was Bill Gates, now I'd be more <laughs> interested. These people that have like a clean a clean persona about them that you know they wouldn't hurt a fly. They're all oh. about, they're all about you'd have you'd have the radical contrast. Of course, of course, more comedy and more more odd in the situation. Yeah, but this thing comes out between Bezos and the mistress. It's like yeah, of course, he's living his best life. Absolutely, I'm I'm jealous and. No, no problem admitting that. It is interesting, though. So this, think about this in the broader context of, okay, you have this person with inexhaustible wealth, still inexhaustible despite the fact that it's being split in half. $70 billion. Sure. Uh, Peter Thiel also has an inexhaustible reservoir of wealth to um, destroy really any tabloid mechanism, which in a way, perversely, kind of holds these people to account and strips down the mystique that surrounds them. So I'm on balance. I think this is my final point in the matter. I'm on the side of the National Enquirer and their crusade to bring all dick pics of celebrities to the surface. May you one day be in a position where you're famous enough where your dick pics are our national concern. Well, all I need is these uh, degenerate stock picks to pay off, and maybe one day I will. We'll get to that at the end. The road is paved in gold. One bet at a time. All right. Anything to add on 
on the saga of the great Bezos. No, I, I'm I'm loving this through and through. Jeff Bezos, you keep doing what you're doing, National Enquirer. Good job by you, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. All right. Next, let's uh, explore, if we will. There is a long form this week on Wall Street Journal about Netflix and not per se Netflix, the business. I think in our first podcast we've touched on obviously the star power and the ascendancy of Netflix and its juggernaut business performance and its market cap. But this week under the spotlight is clearly a culture of savagery within the walls of Netflix, a culture of fear, and a culture of one of my favorite topics uh, brought to the fore by the show Silicon Valley, radical candor. Radical candor. Nothing, uh, not a principle I live my life by, but uh, somewhat aspirational. Radcan. Radcan. Um, this article spanned everything from targeted assassinations, right, in the case of the chief communications officer who used a racial epithet and was summarily canned. Not summarily. Took a couple weeks. Uh, but, but radically nonetheless. Radically so. Uh, your standard... HR calling, uh, and elimination of people who uh, don't pass the keeper test. Would you tell us what your interpretation of this keeper test was? As I understood it, if you aren't going to fight for somebody to stick around, they aren't worth keeping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's... I don't know. It, It seems to me that to save your own ass, there's very few people that actually pass that keeper test. True. Or you have to cultivate a powerful alliance of people who will actually advocate for you. And you can do that by being good at your job or by buying them coffee every day. Anyway, that wasn't in the article. It's just an idea I had. There is also mention of an uprising of tribal lingo. For instance, quote, that was a close one. What is your North Star? We are guessing that means, you know, what are your guiding principles? Uh, Secondarily, um, are you aligned or are you highly aligned? (laughs) Degrees of alignment. Uh, Thirdly, uh, strong differences between highly aligned and loosely coupled. Maybe maybe they describe completely different things. I don't know. Uh, And the last one. I have it here. Context or control? No idea what that means. Not, not even going to pretend to know what that Some means. Some samples from the lingo of Netflix. Okay. Uh, what else did this... Oh, uh, I, this was a personal favorite of yours. Uh, this kind of like salary awareness initiative. Oh, yes. Where if you were, uh, I believe it's like a mid, mid, mid-management and above. So like a director and above, you were aware of what everyone... In the company. In the company, including your peers, yes. your superiors made. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you're walking up and down the aisles seeing dollar signs above people's heads. That is horrifying. Horrifying. So, <clears throat> I'd like to ask you two questions. Please. Um, eh, three, but two of them are related. The first question, though, is, I think you and I have thought to ourselves it would be a personal dream of ours to work at Netflix, because... It's so obviously in the ascendancy, uh, which is obviously a dead giveaway in case anyone was trying to guess where we worked. It's not there because we're very unsuccessful. But, but Mr. Hastings, <laughs> if you're listening. Having said that, 
We are desperate. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, how would you uh, how would you fare in a culture like this? Does this even does this ruin your dreams at all? A little bit. It does. A, a little bit. One. I mean, it, it's a big it's a big assumption to say that you know I would even make it in, mm-hmm. but surviving there seems like I would say a fantasy. But keep going. Sure. So it's a fantasy that I would even make it in. But the idea of surviving there sounds absolutely horrifying. And the only thing that I would take away from it is knowing that basically you have that on your resume. If you if you can survive what is essentially sounds to me like the corporate version of the Hunger Games. Correct. Once you if you survive the Hunger Games for two years, you can go into paradise and work wherever you want. Or or you can get yourself transferred to the Netherlands. Mm, explain to us this juicy loophole. So, as Netflix tries to expand globally, they're running into issues with this firing culture because certain places like the Netherlands make it much more difficult mm-hmm. to fire people. I like to call it the culling. Correct. Correct. So, if you can make it in and get yourself transferred to... Which sounds delightful, by the way. Strong bicycle culture, uh, strong marijuana culture. Uh, everyone's very tall. Um, everyone seems very happy. Phenomenal healthcare. So maybe I, the dream isn't dead. Right. The, the, correct. It it's just be, just you got to get into a certain. Way. Yeah, it gets a little messy, but it's it's there. <laughs> it's um, there. What? How you? Let's say one day you're working in Netflix. How do you position yourself for the Netherlands post? Listen, don't know a lick of Dutch, but uh, listen, I'm great on a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's disregard the fact that I'm not great on a bicycle, but I will fake my way through it if necessary. I'll um, advocate for you. Sure, sure. Um, I have no idea how you do that. Maybe there's a trailing spouse uh, policy. Maybe mm. you can marry someone who works there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but if you can somehow get yourself a job in the Netherlands working for Netflix, you're set. Or a job in the Netherlands or Denmark. Any of those places where you're bicycling to work sounds pretty good to me. I don't know. People were bicycling to work in China. Didn't sound quite as delightful as you might think. Uh, forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Western nations plus bicycle. Equals success. Exactly. Got it. Second, third, all really one question, though. Okay. Um, Are we, as we step back and think about corporate culture, on this extreme that we've just painted, you have Netflix, radical candor, um, (laughs) uh, political savagery, Incredible extreme amounts of accountability, it sounds like. Uh, in the other example, uh, besides kind of like the political assassination of the chief comms officer, you also have this example of the, the uh, co-foundational like product chief that Hastings completely canned in favor of a younger guy that they felt like was more dynamic. So just a ruthless culture of culling and talent and work optimization, right? And uh, completely horizontal in nature stands opposite to companies that shall remain unnamed who are 
which are vertical, hierarchical. There's not a culture of honesty. In fact, there's a lot of dissembling because people don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Everyone has their own fiefdoms. But compare Netflix to many other companies in uh, the NASDAQ, right? Or any, any other company in the market, and they're vastly outperforming their peers. Is this Hunger Games environment the optimal system if you're trying to maximize business outcomes? Well, to certain people, I, w- I would certainly think so. And there was a, a great quote in that article that was talking about how people are afraid to go to work every day because they can get fired at any moment. And when somebody asked who here is afraid, they all raised their hands, and the response was great because fear will motivate you. It's a dark world. Yeah, it's, it's a dark world, but you can't argue with the results. Strong to quite strong. Strong to quite strong. Um, so it, it, it's rather unfortunate, but, I mean, it seems to be working at least at least in that. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a system designed to destroy complacency wherever it dwells. And I said it, what I meant earlier when I said targeted assassinations, the, the chief product officer is a perfect example. It's basically a guy who thought he was untouchable, thought he was in a mafia of early employees and, like, higher-ups, that he was a made man. Right. And if the boss of the mafia, Tony Soprano, comes in and kills one of his capos in front of everybody, then everyone knows that you could be the one who's completely shot down the next day you come. Yeah, and what was fascinating about that about that instance is that the guy hadn't really done anything to deserve getting fired. It was no. just a matter of he it didn't pass the keeper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He didn't pay. Yeah, he failed the keeper test. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. So, on the one hand, it's absolutely horrifying. On the other hand, Mr. Hastings. Yeah, yeah. hats off to you. Yeah. <laughs> So you're designing your ideal business that you run, uh, which obviously is going to happen. In prison. It's your prison, <laughs> prison business. I just, I don't want to live in that kind of world, man. I am willing to accept personally. Uh, a company that survives, yes, that has wisdom, sure. But, you know, is ultimately mediocre, probably, and vulnerable to disruption but a place where people actually like feel like they can be themselves and aren't sweating every time they come in? I think in large part it has to do with, at least in my opinion, it has to do with what the company does. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work for a cosmetics company that sold press-on nails. Hell so, yeah. So when things got cut throat, you know, we had to sort of like take a step back and realize like, it's press-on nails, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so if you're curing cancer, be as cutthroat as you need to be, you know, you, you, you do what you have to do to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're doing press on nails or some variation thereof, it's like, is streaming video any more important than press on nails? At least press on nails are in the physical world. Well, yeah, it's all a matter of touche. All right, let's move on. Uh, on a sad note, I think. In degenerate circles, broadly. The year of the boar. It's Chinese New Year. Bodes poorly for the great casinos of Macau. Uh, The economic slowdown in greater China, as we like to say. Uh, 
has hit the high rollers of China hard. Um, margins are compressing at the win, Las Vegas Sands, NGM. Um, this is really, I think, uh, we're just taking a moment to celebrate the high rollers of Greater China. The guys putting $50,000 on a single hand. Maybe they're going to have to scale back a little bit. And and that's a bad thing for degenerates. I, I, I damn near shed a tear when I read that. It's like, poor, poor guys. <sighs> well, anyway. <laughs> in toys. <laughs> uh, Mattel and Hasbro. They also feel the wind's winter. Uh, as the collapse of Toys R Us takes its toll. Basically... T- creating an inventory void in Q4 during the high water mark of toy distribution in America. Uh, as a practical matter, practical matter, Robert, you know, it seems kind of like a comical lane to highlight, but it really is just one more outpost of the physical retail world uh, that has obviously collapsed in terms of distribution with Toys R Us, but the actual... Uh, creators and manufacturers of toy products like Mattel and Hasbro. Uh, what are the practical implications for that? Obviously, they have to pivot more, you know, pivot more to online modes of distribution. But I think ultimately it means what uh, toys will become less expensive with more online intervention. Uh, Mattel and Hasbro will be ultimately compromise from a margin standpoint just like any other incumbent who's being compromised by online distribution yeah and i think i think we certainly run the risk of things becoming commoditized unless certain franchises can stay alive mm-hmm. legos will never go away play-doh will never go away but a lot of a lot of the toys that are being generated are just one-offs that frankly any company can can create so yeah, I definitely see. I definitely see the the Hasbro's and the Mattels of the world being pinched, and yeah, the Toys R Us thing was was oh. rather troubling. Did oh you see? The, did you see the the image of the giraffe walking away from the last Toys R Us store? No, you're gonna break my heart. No, nothing. Nothing exemplified the loss that was Toys R Us. You have finally finally accomplished the death of my inner child. Yeah, that, that's what I was going for. Well, there is a, a so there is a through line in all of this, right? So, toy the the internet has destroyed all twentieth century distribution. Sure, toys, toys are us distributor that relied on a, a physical outlet to deliver its goods, right? Uh, really, an extension of physical malls, right? Uh, even Pay TV, right? Traditional cable or satellite incumbents are being compromised by the savagery of Netflix, right? Uh, Distribution's not a game to be in, but ultimately, if you are an originator of the toy content, like Mattel and Hasbro are, you would think there is some surety for the future that you will just have to go into a different lane of the omni-channel distribution model. Sure. What I'm wondering is, in 30 years' time, you and I have been divorced three times. We're on to our second, third wife. We now have small children. Is there a digital 
experience for children that actually supplants physical toys, ultimately, in which case Mattel and Hasbro are compromised. It does feel like maybe there's an eventuality in the future where actually even being a manufacturer of physical toys will seem stupid and antiquated. Yeah, it's very likely, and short of um, electronic arts beating on earnings, we saw that a lot of the video game companies were getting killed because even even producing physical games was no longer as profitable. As profitable. So yeah, as technology advances, you no, know, there's it's definitely possible that the idea of a physical toy for you to play with will will no longer be a viable option. Mm-hmm. But I do look at the case of Eddie Lampert trying his damnedest to save <laughs> Sears <laughs> as the one the one last hurrah. Isn't he just trying to savage it for the real estate though? Isn't that his entire game plan? I don't know, but I mean when he comes on TV he it sounds, he makes a compelling case that he genuinely cares about a dying brand. and Well, of course he's going to say that, man. Who is he fooling? Nobody's going to this, nobody's going to these stores. I would do the same thing if I was trying to harvest Hasbro. If I was a, a corporate baron and I was trying to harvest Mattel and Hasbro for, I don't know what I would be doing it for in 30 years. <laughs> Plastic. Be harvesting it from plastic so I can melt it down and create spaceships, you know? I would, of course, be like, well, you know, they're just such incredible institutions. And as a child, I love their toys. See? Yeah. You see what I did there? You you almost had me fooled. Okay. Well, I I don't know. I I, I sort of, you know, my my hat went off to Eddie Lampert when it's like, that guy actually cares about something. It's obviously money, but... Yeah, where the fuck else am I going to buy a Lance and bag? Sears, that's it. All right, let's 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 round things up with. You don't have a new degenerate stock pick of the week. I now, don't. now you had some ideas, right? But you're a true paragon of virtue. You don't want to recommend anything that you don't have a certain outlook on. So we're gonna dedicate today's degenerate stock tip corner to giving everyone an update on P and G and Cisco. So. Correct. Tell it like it is, Brother Bear. So as of as of our last episode, I hadn't yet purchased Cisco, but I did buy it first thing Monday. Um, the market this week didn't do anything. I do believe the S&P closed Friday about one and a half points higher than it opened on Monday. Mm-hmm. So nothing happened. Um, Procter & Gamble, since I bought my options position, Procter & Gamble, the stock, is up 4.5%. The S&P is up 1.9%. The options are up 21.3%. That's down about 2.5% from last week, but still outperforming the S&P overall. Uh, Cisco, on the other hand, uh, the stock itself is down 0.1%, basically flat. The S&P was up 0.3%, basically flat. The options position is down 2%, and that's just a matter of time decay. Mm-hmm. So this week I am doubling down P&G, Cisco still going higher. Uh, Cisco reports earnings next Wednesday. Double down! So, yeah, next week Cisco will... Bear fruit. 
it will either bear fruit or I will be apologizing profusely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, big moves next week. But either way, yeah, you're an honest man. I'm an honest man. There's there's a couple things I'm keeping an eye on, but again, I don't recommend things that I don't have a position in myself. Right. But things that I'm keeping an eye on that I may decide to get into. Uh, J.P. Morgan, um, Microsoft. If and when I do, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Another thing. Uh, another thing I'm keeping an eye on, although obviously. I'm not a degenerate stock trader. I'm a value investor. The uh, Something we should all consider that I have to reconcile with my own uh, sense of uh, propriety and lawfulness, which I don't have. The MJ ETF is a composite of suppliers, distributors, of marijuana, star, marijuana stocks. Right now, it's kind of flatlining in the 30s, I think, long-term value buy. The other other one that's obviously popular is Canopy. MJ, though, gives you some risk exposure that spans multiple distributors, multiple suppliers. So I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but probably will next week. And if I do, not a degenerate stock tip, but a value invest for the future. Wait. So can we keep can we keep scores on on both of our? <laughs> of course we oh, can. Oh, okay. Of there, course. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So far, score is zero zero because I haven't sold any of my positions. But uh, there you go. All right. As always, you're welcome, America. See you next week. See you next week for episode four of the Degenerate Business. Toodaloo. Thank you.